What's up, everybody? You are listening to Come On Man, a 3% Man podcast. I'm your host, Paul Bauer, and I am on the road to being a 3% man just like you. If you're new to the show, this is a podcast for fellow students of Corey Wayne's book, How to Be a 3% Man, and for men who just want to be better in general. We talk about dating, gaining wealth, being happy, and using the law of attraction to get everything we want in life. Welcome back, everybody to another episode of Come On Man. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see that I'm recording these opening words with video now. (laughs) You're welcome. For everybody out there, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're on. If you're on YouTube, be sure to hit those notifications. All right, this week is a wealth-related episode of Come On Man with self-made millionaire Matthew J. Shepard. And when I say millionaire, I mean someone who has a net worth of at least a million dollars. Net worth is defined as assets minus liabilities, not necessarily a million dollars in cash. Anyway, Matt has built his wealth from multiple income streams, namely being a general contractor as well as buying and flipping homes and also buying and maintaining rental properties. It was fascinating picking the brain of someone who's done it. We also talk about what he's done, um, I'm sorry, what he has done and how it falls in line with other methodologies from authors like MJ DeMarco, Dave Ramsey, Robert Kiyosaki, Napoleon Hill, and Thomas J. Stanley. And I'll bring you that conversation right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm not sure what you're doing tonight, but what I'm doing involves a bottle of Carvassier and a lady. Well, maybe not the Carvassier, but definitely a lady. If you're like me, you're tired of expensive, girly-smelling colognes from expensive department stores. You don't want to smell like a little bitch. You want to smell like a friggin' man. That's why I've partnered with Duke Cannon. Duke Cannon has a wide range of men's grooming products that actually smell manly as hell. My personal favorites are their Naval Supremacy Bar Soap and all of their awesome smelling colognes that women love. I have several of their colognes for different days of the week, but my Saturday night cologne is Grant because it gets the job done, if you know what I mean. Right now, if you visit duke.comeonmanpod.com, you get free shipping on orders over $25. Using duke.comeonmanpod.com tells them I sent you and you get free shipping. Win-win. Again, that's duke.comeonmanpod.com. Don't smell like a little bitch. All right, this week I have Matt Shepard with me. He's calling in from Wisconsin, don't you know? He's one of our 3% brothers on the page, and he's the the only guy that reached out to me when I, I put out an announcement on the page saying, I'm looking to talk to someone that has a, a net worth of at least a million dollars. So that's you know assets minus liabilities. And, um, I just want, I want, and I want someone that was self-made, someone that didn't get like a million dollars in inheritance, you know, someone that built this up themselves. And so, yeah, so Matt reached out to me and I was like, this is going to be awesome because, uh, uh, the podcast, you know, I week, every week I talk about, you know, it's not just about dating, it's about being better men. And it also talks about, you know, gaining wealth. And I haven't done an episode on 
building wealth in like months <laughs> at this point. So I thought it would be good to actually talk to someone that's built up a business themselves and that's been successful at it and just sort of pick their brain a little bit. So welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Glad to be here for the 3% brothers. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time today. So, so when we were chatting about this, you said that you have um, your assets because you don't have, you don't have a million dollars like cold, hard cash in your pocket, which I no, don't think is a requirement. No, no. And I think even most billionaires don't have a billion dollars cash in the bank. A lot of them have it in various, you know, investments. They have it tied up in real estate. They have it tied up in other, you know, business ventures and stuff like that. But asset wise, they're worth. I'm sorry, say that again. Yeah. I said full portfolio equity basis is what they're always looking at. Exactly. Exactly. So when you reached out to me, you said you're in control of assets well over a million dollars. But then when you subtract the liabilities, you're pretty, you're, you're right at the, like the, the million dollar mark. So what, what do you do? What do you do exactly? So I'm a contractor um, in construction. I do a lot of different things, but that's my main business. I do a lot of contracting, remodeling, um, fixing up buildings. And uh, I also have some real estate investment. So I invest in real estate, fix things up, and then generally turn them into rentals or um, sell them. You know, the last couple of years have been pretty great as far as values go. Um, my trick has always been to find something that needs a little bit of work. Of course, I'm a contractor, so I can, I can uh, cheat the system a little bit and put my sweat equity into it. And then once it's finished, I have that extra added value you know, from the assessment and uh, the finished product. But the way I've always gone about it is looking for something that really needs some work and being able to put that into it. Because you know, my dad always taught me money's made on the front side of a business transaction, not the back side. Like your initial purchase investment is, um, is so important because you can really you can really waste and squander a bunch of that equity right up front if you're not getting a good deal. So, I mean, that is probably the biggest um, single factor. Um, you know, I don't want to say it's luck, but in, in essence, a little bit of luck goes a long way. I don't really believe in luck, but so the, uh, the resilience to go after and look for what you're looking for and to just keep at it and find these things that are a little bit undervalued. It's kind of the same way when you're looking at stocks. I used to have some stocks investments. I don't do that anymore. Um, my first cousin does uh, Hodges Fund down in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, that's all he does. You know, obviously he has some other investments now, but he's in control of, of that. And um, he's done very, very well for himself that way. Um, no, but to be real honest, I think you've got to find a little bit of a niche too. I mean, I, I don't think everybody can do it the way that I did it uh, because you have to have a lot of those skill sets in order to push forward the value of the real estate by putting in that sweat equity. Um, but at the end of the day, when you really look at things, as far as investments are concerned, I think it's the, the stick with it factor that really really has to hit home. 
Um, whether you're looking at stock investments, uh, you have to be on there every day. Or if, if you're just in business for yourself and you're running a small mom and pop shop operation, you're there every day. Or if you have 15 employees, and I used to have 15 employees back uh, about, let me think, about 17 years ago. Um, so I've had a lot of learning situations over my life about how to and how not to make money. And uh, one of the things about it is you really can lose it at any time if you don't stick with it. So I don't know. Got it. Okay. So you, um, well, I, sorry, I guess we'll get, we'll circle back around to that idea because there's a, a theme in one of the, one of the books I've read that talk about that sort of thing. So I want to pick your brain about that, but how, how did you get started into in, into this sort of thing. So you said by trade, you're a contractor. Did it, did the real estate like buying and flipping and also buying and renting come just sort of out of hand from that just because you were doing it so much uh, with the contracting stuff or did you someone teach you this or, or what? I have to give a major shout out to my dad here and my grandfather for that matter. Uh, my dad started out I mean, we come from nothing, from farming. And um, my dad started fixing up uh, some real estate back in the late 80s, I think. He had actually done that beforehand. But at the time where I started in, I was very young and started in helping dad. And so I learned a lot of skills from dear old dad. And um, he also had his real estate broker's license. So I was in the know about that a little bit. And eventually, you know, I went to college for a few years and just decided that the office life thing was not for me. Um, I like being outside. I don't like the monotony of any singular job. I like to do different things on a very regular basis. Um, so a lot of that played into me deciding to go that route and to be real honest, when I was a young kid, man, I just looked at all the investments that Donald Trump made, and man, that was a neat thing. <laughs> so he was a little bit of an inspiration in that regard. But I have a lot of other family that, like aunts, uncles, cousins, that did some real estate investment and um, owned and held rental property. Um, rental property in and of itself it can be a lot of work, but there's a couple different things that go along with it. It's kind of like the time value of money where you have compound interest when you're looking at bank accounts and stocks and things like that, where that compound interest starts to balloon over time. Um, the same thing kind of happens with real estate because you have this initial investment and obviously you're going to have a bunch of other small investments along the way for repairs and things like that. But along the way, you're renting these buildings out to people who are paying rent and that pays for the upkeep and the mortgage. And hopefully at the end of the day, when you crunch your numbers, you're at a net zero or maybe a little positive. So. Got it. Okay. So, um, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to a book right now uh, that 3% brother, uh, Jose Spear. Uh, recommended on one of the podcast episodes called the millionaire fast lane. And I've posted some videos about it on, on, on 
Facebook, and uh, he's just getting into the he's just getting into the subject now. I hear he wants to pick a fight with you. Oh yeah, well that's kind of an ongoing joke because Jose is into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so and I'm into pro wrestling, so we always talk about that kind of stuff. So I'm always challenging him to a right. fight, knowing perfectly good and well that his pussy ass isn't going to come to America and throw down with me. Just oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So anyway, it's a good book though. So in the book right now, uh, MJ DeMarco, who's the author, he's talking about various uh, businesses that people can start and, you know, the likelihood that they're going to gain wealth from it. And he's, he basically says like real estate is like the, probably the easiest business someone can get in to get wealthy fast. And it basically every like, you know, book on building wealth essentially says that like real estate is like a good way to go, but I don't think that's for everybody. Cause I, there's so, there's so many stories of people that uh, get into real estate. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're just uh, trying to be realtors that there's a lot of turnover in the real realtor market. Um, and then people get in not knowing what the fuck they're doing, thinking, I'm just going to buy this house, you know, fix it up and flip it. And then they don't realize like how expensive sometimes these projects to renovate a house are, and they end up like upside down in it, you know? Yeah, a lot of that. So, uh, so what would you say there's to, a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. What would you say about, uh, to people that want to get in real estate or get into the real estate business, sort of what you're doing? You know, would you say like it makes sure you do your homework or or what? I would say learn some skills uh, first, <laughs> unless you have a big batch of money to play with and you have some good connections with people who are contractors or, um, you, you know, property management people who can do some of the work for you. Um, at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of different types of things that you're going to need to know how to do unless you're willing to pay someone else to do it. Like you said, there's a lot of people that get into home remodeling and just think they're going to flip a house. And when they come back with the actual numbers of what they spent compared to what they're going to get paid for it, it, it doesn't make sense. And they just basically just wasted, you know, four or five months of their life making nothing. Of course, at that point, you're building experience, but you know we're all in business to make money so the bottom line does you know does make everything happen really um like you were saying the uh with the millionaire fast lane i haven't read the book but i gotten a little bit of a gist from what i've been listening to as far as you guys on your uh video uh, videos or podcasts um yeah, the whole Dave Ramsey thing where he basically wants you to be at an absolute zero as far as debt before you start making um, improvements in, your, in your, uh, your portfolio of your wealth, that's definitely not the way that I <laughs> went about things. Um, I think getting in debt as quickly and as much as you can if you are able to manage that debt mm-hmm. is probably the fastest way to do it. Um, like, was it Jose that says that real estate is probably the fastest and easiest way to do it? No, the, it's the uh, author, the MJ DeMarco, uh, the author of Millionaire okay, Fastlane, someone DeMarco. that says that. Yeah, and I would agree with that because, you know, you obviously have this immediate income stream of renters paying rent. And 
you know, it's there every month. Now it, it does come with some work. You have to, you have to work it. You have to stay on top of it. You can't let your rental units be unoccupied. You can't not pay the taxes or deal with anything that the city or local municipality tells you, you need to correct, you know, you need to take care of that stuff right away or it will snowball. Um, but as far as the way that real estate values work, if you buy low, just like in the stock market, it's going to, um, it's going to appreciate in value over time. So that compound effect of paying down your note and mortgage at the same time as the property is um, growing in value, it, it can be very compounding. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I was going to bring up Dave Ramsey next. Because, um, you know, according to the Millionaire Fast Lane, Dave Ramsey's method is the slow lane of building wealth. Uh, but yeah, and like you said, his whole thing is about no debt. You know, it's all about like paying off all your debts first, going into everything debt free. And then, you know, basically investing in, uh, in the markets, you know, using index funds and mutual funds and stuff like that. Um, and then you, and I was going to ask you about the no debt thing, but you already said that that's not how you went about it. But um, have you ever read like Robert Kiyosaki's books? He's the rich dad, poor dad guy. No, I don't believe so. Okay. Well, so it sounds like basically what you're doing is essentially what he's teaching, which is um, his whole book is about using debt to, to make money. So borrowing and then turning around, uh, getting a return on investment. And then eventually that starts paying, paying you, um, you know, like if you have renters and after the, that building's paid for and the mortgage is paid off and stuff like that. Now that's just income stream coming in. And he talks about doing that and investing uh, in cash flow. So that's, and that's slightly different than building houses and flipping them. Cause that's like a one-time uh, transaction. Whereas if you're renting, you got constant cash flow coming in. So you're doing a little bit of both. Right. Yeah. That's, like. more my thing. that's more my thing. Um, I, I do I, both. I do um, not really flipping, but I do a lot of work for other people, you know, that are either looking to flip their house. So I'm kind of on the cash side of that where I'm doing the work and they're paying me and either they're going to live there for a while, you know, refinance or sell. Um, but yeah, I mean, multiple income streams, I think is, is the key in a lot of ways. Uh, and you get that naturally with just continuing your real estate investment. Now I had, um, bought a course and I can't even remember what it was some, some 20 years ago. And, um, it basically taught a lot of the strategy. So when, when Dave Ramsey came out and everybody was buying onto it at the time, and he said you needed to be totally debt free. Um, it went against just everything I had ever learned, both from my dad and some other peers that I have that are in real estate investment. And being a contractor, I work with a lot of guys who are, you know, multimillionaires, even billionaires that own, you know, thousands of rental property all over the United States. And it's kind of interesting to watch and see how they fund things, where they take their money, whether they, whether they, uh, you know, a lot of guys have like a, a slush fund LLC where they'll buy property and then they'll sell it to the LLC and take the money on the personal side. Right. And then just basically have the LLC hold that debt while they're renting it out. 
Um, I don't know if that's the right way to do it or not because I've never done it that way yet. But um, a lot of the big boys, that's what they're doing. Are you so are, when you uh, are renting out? Are you doing it under a, a sole proprietorship, or do you are you protected with a like a corp like an LLC? I'm protected um, for the majority by an LLC, but I do have a couple of pieces that are not under that envelope. Got it. Okay. Yeah, because I, I I'm I'm no expert on on this sort of thing, but I I do know like you know Millionaire Fastlane he talks about how important it is to be incorporated, you know, either if it's a, an S corp, a C corp or a LLC, just so that when, you know, if you have a tenant that's pissed off at you and wants to sue you that, you know, they can't sue you for what you personally own. They can only sue the LLC and the LLC is like its own legal entity. Yeah, yeah. it is. And there's also like tax breaks. Be some of those. There are, um, you know, there, there are a lot of details to get into as far as the tax ramifications of either an LLC, an S-Corp, or a C-Corp. I used to have an S-Corp, and it was a little bit more involved than what I wanted at the time. That's back when I had those 15 employees uh, for a construction business, and the amount of paperwork that went along that was pretty daunting. Um, so, I mean, you have to have people that do paperwork uh, besides your actual uh, production workers as well, that or, or you have to have someone hired to do your accounting um, in a lot of ways. Now, the way I do it is I basically compile all my receipts at the end of the year and I take it to uh, a CPA and they get a second look at it and basically just crunch all the numbers and send it off for me so that I have that second look and um, they can figure out, you know, take this and, you know, evaluate it over here, depreciate this and pull it back over here and just kind of juggle things around a little bit to make the best use of what's there and um, try and alleviate some of the tax liability. Though at the end of the day, the more wealth you build, the more tax you're going to owe if you don't pay it up front. So it's kind of a catch-22 anyway. Got it. But... Part of that goes along with um, the idea that the more money that you have in control or the more equity that you have in your control, the quicker you can build your, your net worth. So you want to try and hold on to as much as that as you can for as long as you can until you absolutely have to pay the piper and, and pay the tax on it. Yeah. That's, so that's another concept from a millionaire fast lane is uh, the idea like in the slow lane, they talk about, oh, you should pay yourself first. And, and by that idea is you basically pay your future self by, you know, taking money pre-tax, put it in like a 401k or, or something like that. Uh, but he says, in reality, that's, you're not really paying yourself first. You're, you know, Uncle Sam takes his anyway, like right off the top when you're in a regular job. He goes, but if you own your own business, you actually do pay yourself first. And then you pay Uncle Sam four times a year after the fact, like after you've crunched all the numbers and stuff like that. So only the only way you can truly pay yourself first is if you own your own business. And, you know, is it, does that sound accurate? Pretty much. Yeah, that does. Um, back when I had the S corporation, it was, it was sold to me like the actual um, doing the S corporation instead of doing an LLC or uh, 
sole prop partnership or something like that. It was sold to me on the premise that there were many benefits to doing an escort. And from what I found, the only one that I can see that worked out better was that you could pay yourself dividends or like bonuses and things like that um, up to a certain dollar amount that weren't taxable. But, um, you know, there's a lot of extra work that goes along with a corporation um, structure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, we, okay, so we talked about, well, we talked a lot about Millionaire Fast Lane, Dave Ramsey, Robert Kiyosaki. Um, have you read Think and Grow Rich? I want to read it, but I haven't read it yet. All right. I was So one of the things that you talked about sort of, to me, it sounds very much like Think and Grow Rich. You said it's very important to have that plan and stick toward to that plan, right? Um, and so that's, yeah. so Think and Grow Rich is kind of almost like a law of attraction type book, but but that's, that is the premise though, is you, you have to have a goal in mind. Like I'm going to have a million dollars in five years. You don't necessarily need to know how at first. And then, you know, but that's my goal. And then you just sort of like, you focus on that goal and then ideas just sort of come to you. Um, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever found yourself in that situation where you're like, I want this in my business i don't know how i'm going to get there but this is a goal i want to get to and then you just focus on it and like somehow things just sort of like materialize like uh, you start getting ideas for things you start setting little small goals and working towards those i don't know do you have any stories yeah like so that? i mean i think you're kind of talking about i think you're kind of talking about the law of attraction there too a little bit aren't you a little bit um i, I agree with that i think the more the more that you think about something, the more it's going to, um, you know, be what you focus on and what you're going to find or see in your life. And, and you're going to learn more over here and over there and all around you about that certain subject that you're thinking about or focusing on. And, um, you know, whether that's coming to you by nature or whether it's just a matter of you having more focus on that one thing, I don't know. I'm no expert on any of that. Um, I just, I know that I've been greatly blessed and I got to throw a shout out to, to both you and, um, and Benny in, uh, the, uh, well, a couple, couple different things. So with Benny, I wanted to mention the, uh, the Facebook dating game thing. And I know yeah. this is totally getting off subject. Um, uh, no, that's fine. We can go off of that. Benny basically walks on water. <laughs> <laughs> But like the whole algorithm algorithm of Facebook and and the uh, I don't know if he calls it hot girls or whatnot, but anyway, I just I found out that that actually works like big time. But um, I found in life that kind of like Benny was talking about being raised in a Christian family and having all these sort of ideals that you were taught by your parents and things. You know, in, in a lot of ways, in both dating and in business, those things those things don't uh, work out real well. Um, now, I'm a Christian guy, and I have to give uh, credit where credit is due. And I think the good Lord has blessed me in a fantastic fashion. Um, but I think a lot of the things that we've been taught being raised uh, religiously don't really play well in the business world in some cases. Um, 
I don't know if I can give you an example of what I'm talking about right now, but uh, I think what Benny said in in part of the the idea, it was your last podcast. I think a lot of what he was saying actually goes along pretty well with uh, a business minded mentality. Got it. Okay. Yep. Going by going by the uh, like what the Bible says about money, like you you most people get the impression that there's some kind of nobility in being poor based on the Bible, you know, like, you know, God wants you to be poor and stuff like that. But I, I strongly disagree with that. I think Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey actually teaches his whole method and his is very Christian based, you know, not to get into any kind of religious philosophical subjects necessarily, but I mean, he basically says that, you know, like the whole idea of debt is, goes against the, the Bible and stuff like that, but the, but actually building wealth doesn't necessarily go against the Bible. There's a book called uh, the science of getting rich by Wallace D Waddles. That's another, it was a precursor to think and grow rich. And that guy's whole, whole mentality is God wants you to be rich because if you have more resources, you can enjoy more of his creation. Cause you have, you know, bingo. And one other thing, yeah, one other thing that goes along with that is if you don't have anything, how can you help someone else, right? Yeah. How can you give back to society yeah. if you're if you're broke as a joke, you know? And you, but I, I do have to mention though, also in Dave Ramsey's uh, course, the one thing that he says that always sticks with me is, you know, right now live like no other, so that later on you can live like no other. There's a lot of truth that goes along with that because it requires some serious discipline to maintain that level of not only being able to get done what you need to get done and stick with it, but also making sure that you have enough money at the end of the day and the end of the week and the end of the month to pay your bills so that you aren't going to go backwards. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. His, yeah. That whole concept of live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. It's all about like living within your means now and saving that money so that your future self can can reap the rewards of, of all that, um, which you know right. the millionaire fast lane kind of poo poos. But I'm like, dude, if you're retiring at 60, you still have some good you know years ahead of you where you can like travel the world, you know, and still enjoy that retirement. Like, stop shitting on this, you know. <laughs> you know? Well, no kidding. Yeah, I mean. You know, there are a lot of different ways to look at it, and there are a lot of different skill sets for a lot of different people. Not everybody's going to be able to do it the way that I did it, and you know, I'm not going to be able to do it the way that a lot of other people did it. But I think the resilience, the discipline, the notion of living within your means, and um, what was the other thing I was thinking about just now? Um, oh, putting your money to work for you, putting your debt to work for you, you know, don't go out and buy a hundred thousand dollar truck when it's not making you money ever. Mm. Um, or don't go spend a quarter million dollars on a sports car when all it's going to do is sit in your garage and it's just going to depreciate. I mean, that's like shooting yourself in the foot, right? Yeah, you, actually it's, it's, it's fascinating that you bring up these concepts because these are all things that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, so Robert Kiyosaki talks about that in his book a lot too, is that wealthy people tend to want to spend their money on assets and not liabilities. So like you said, like a, a million dollar sports car is a total liability and it's fucking expensive to keep that up. And um, now Robert Kiyosaki 
differs with Dave Ramsey in a lot of ways, but specifically on assets and liabilities, like Dave Ramsey looks at your own house as your, you know, most precious asset. Whereas Robert Kiyosaki says, no, your house that you live in is not an asset. It's a liability because if something breaks in it, like that's taking money out of your pocket, you're paying the mortgage on it and stuff like that. Um, which, well, before I go on to stuff, more stuff about cars, what's your take on, on that argument? Cause I've heard, I've heard other rich people say the same thing. I agree with both of them. And here's what I do instead, at least right now, I rent half of my house out. Okay. There you go. So half your house is income generating. Well, currently it's not rented, but yes, I have, uh, my house is designed to be a duplex right now. So, okay. So if you did have like a, a if you were renting it out, then you have at least someone else help paying on your mortgage unless, I don't know if you have that uh, uh, free and clear or anything, but but they're at least helping to lessen your your mortgage payments and stuff like that, which is helpful. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And you can give that person a break, you know, and um, the, the difficult thing with doing that though is having a situation where you're, you know you're gonna get along with these people. Um, and, you know, that's actually what I had the court date for today was for the previous person who lived here. Um, I would say I wouldn't recommend that. And in, and in that light, I would probably look at the terms of your house being more of a liability than an asset. Um, if you have more of a house than you need, I guess. Mm, okay. You know, if you're looking at something with more than 1,600 square feet or whatever, um, but that really depends on how you bought it, what condition it was in, what you're going to need to do to it in the future, and how much you're going to sell it for when you're done with it and want to move. So, I mean, I think you can look at it either way, um, but I, I think uh, just not being or getting upside down on it is probably the biggest key. Got it. Okay. So, but going back to what you were saying about uh, fancy cars and stuff like that. So another book that I read is called The Millionaire Next Door. It's a pretty, pretty famous book. And that, that what the, the author did in that book was he interviewed millionaires across the country and just, just did like a basic, a big study on them. And he found that like most millionaires want to live within their means. They don't have flashy cars. They'll just get like a, a very like reliable you know, Ford or something. I, I don't like Fords, but that's what the book says. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, they live in standard, like suburban homes, not these big fucking McMansions and shit. You know, they, and they read all the time. <laughs> that's what I found fascinating. They're, they spend a lot of time reading and learning new stuff. Um, and I, and, and obviously you're in the 3% man group. You found the Corey Wayne book, like, so, and, and you also talked about not spending money on million dollar cars and stuff like that. So it sounds like you sort of fall in that category. Um, what? Yeah, I would agree with all of that. I think it's important to live within your means. Um, I think if you want to build wealth, you know, spending money on lavish things is only going to detract from your ability to do that and the speed at which that happens. Um, obviously, once you get a little bit of uh, nest egg, we'll call it built up, 
then you can start opening things up a little bit. And I don't know that there's a good percentage number that I could give you that you can say, okay, well, we have this much now. I guess we can just go ahead and play with this much and kind of throw it off to the side as, you know, um, you know, buy a boat or buy, you know, whatever, an airplane. You know, so a lot of people nowadays, like if you look at society, and there's this banker in town that is always talking about this, how, and I believe this is an actual uh, statistic um, from the people in the United States. Most people don't have $400 that they can go and just for whatever emergency they have or, you know, an unexpected bill to go and pay that $400. Um, I kind of kind of lost my train of thought there, but, oh, yeah. So, I mean, if you're living within your means while you're making money and you're just putting that aside, planning for your next investment, you're always prepared for those unexpected things that come up because you already have this set aside, right? Because you're already planning on your next investment purchase. So you already have this, we'll call it a rainy day fund that, you know, or emergency fund that's always there. Yeah, that's actually what Dave Ramsey teaches. He teaches um, you, the first thing you do, your first baby step is to put a, to save up a thousand bucks and put that aside for emergencies. And then you work on your debt snowball and get out of debt. And then once you do that, then you start taking what you were putting towards all your debts and throwing that back at your emergency fund. So you have six months, uh, three to six months of emergency fund sa savings. Um, There's another radio yeah. show called Tom Likas and he used to call it a fuck you fund. So that if you didn't like your boss, you can just say, fuck you, you know, cause you have all this money saved. Right. <laughs> but, but yeah. And, and yeah. when I, when I learned that from Dave Ramsey, I like, I was the same way. If I had an emergency, I'd put it on a credit card. And after that, I don't sure. do that anymore. I try to not use a credit card at all. And um, yeah, so it's a statistic. What is it somewhere around? I think it's 90 or 95% of Americans don't have more than $400 to, you know, for any emergency or any, you know, unsubstantiated purchase that they want to go and make. Um, but yeah, so like I was saying before, I don't want to like totally dog on Dave, Dave Ramsey or any of the other guys, but I think there are some really good principles in all of these um, books and ways and means that they've gone about investments that you can use in a lot of different circumstances. Um, I guess I, I really don't agree with Ramsey's idea that you need to be totally debt-free. I think if you're disciplined, the more debt you have, if you're using it properly, is highly beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I can I can definitely see both ways. Um, and you know, and like I, I post these videos on uh, on the Facebook page or the Three Percent Man Facebook page, you know, where I'm complaining about MJ DeMarco's and stuff like that. I actually agree with like everything he says, you know, I'm not, uh, I just think it's, I, I think it's funny that uh, he, he does shit all over like Dave Ramsey's stuff so much where I'm like, Dave Ramsey stuff could still work though. You know? And then one of the things that he complains about is that he's like, Dave Ramsey didn't get rich from following his own advice. He got rich from selling you his plan. And I'm like, <laughs> that's, fucking true you know like dave ramsey's not a multi-millionaire because he's put all of his money in 401ks and shit um but it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that that his advice is wrong 
you know, like I can see that I can see his advice working for me today. Cause I've been following his method for a long time. And, you know, my kids, I was showing my kids the other day, my 401k and my IRA investments. And I'm, you know, I'm not like, I would, I'm not a millionaire yet, but my, just my 401k and uh, IRA investments are already uh, making me about $10,000 a month, just in like nice. dividends and returns and stuff like that, which is, it's taken a while, it's taken a while to get to that point, but you know, but once you get to a certain number in the, you know, in your investment portfolio, it starts snowballing faster and faster. And that's where the compound interest works, but it does take a long time to get up to that point. Um, it does. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I there are faster ways too. of doing it, but. <laughs> I think you're right at that point too, where you're talking about that snowball effect. If you're, if you're snowballing $10,000 a month and you're rolling that over and you know, you're not, you're not cooking up more than, you know, 30% of that, you're rolling over the other 60, 65, 70%. Um, all of a sudden you're going to have that whole amount and still have the other 30% on top of that in a relatively short period of time. And um, I think that's about the point where, it, it becomes a big snowball. It's about ten thousand a month. Yeah, and and yeah, and it's taken it's taken me years to get to this point, and so I'm finally hitting it. I'm like, oh shit, and I and I can see it now. Like, and and because I check like monthly, I don't like looking at it daily because that will. If you're looking at the markets, if the the way they fluctuate, it'll give you fucking heartburn. Mm -hmm. But if you just look at it like monthly yeah. or you know maybe quarterly, that would be even better. Then you can really see what what your money's doing for you. And it's like, oh shit. And I, and a hundred percent of that, cause that's all 401k IRA stuff. Like I don't touch that yet. Cause it's all retirement. So that a hundred percent of that is getting reinvested. And so it's just going to, it's just going to snowball faster that way. But, but yeah, I'm definitely, yeah, well. I'm definitely the one following like the Dave Ramsey method, as opposed to these other um, much faster ways of gaining wealth. So maybe when I'm 60, uh, and I'm retired. I can write a book on how I got rich doing the fucking Dave Ramsey method. And then I'll just get more rich, even, even richer off the book sales after that. All right. Build the snowball. Build the snowball. Keep pushing it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. So, um, so we sort of, I already asked you sort of about advice you would give to someone that wants to get into like, you know, real estate, uh, you know, that sort that type of business but what advice do you have for anyone who just wants to gain wealth in general do you have any kind of specific advice well i i think what you're doing is is probably more the status quo i think it's probably um or it can be a little bit more of a safe safer play um it's certainly more mainstream mm -hmm. um I think, but also as you as you well know, I'm sure that you have to keep after your investment portfolio and look at the gains here compared to gains there and where you want to flip, whether you want to take this part of low risk and put it up to high risk so that you get a bigger return. And I think uh, depending on the year or where the market's at, that, like you said, that can fluctuate big time. Um, but so if I had one specific thing that I would say makes the huge difference 
is multiple income streams mm. and your your ability to stick with the plan and be resilient in in your resolve and just keep going got it okay you actually the the multiple income streams uh i, I read a book recently too called uh, think like a billionaire and that was like the one of the number one things that billionaires do is they have multiple income streams coming in i think that's also millionaire next door talks about that that really true wealthy people find lots of different ways to make money, not just one, like they go to their nine to five job every day. They don't do that. They, <laughs> they have all right. sorts of ways that yeah. they're, they're bringing money in. For real. So, I mean, part of what goes along with that though, is you, you really have to buckle down mentally and you have to micromanage it unless you're going to have somebody else do it for you. And that's going to cost you, you know, 60 to $70,000 a year in, in management fees. But it can be done. It can be done with a family. Um, it, it's uh, once you do it for a while, it becomes easier. And obviously, you're taking baby steps. So yes, you go. You know, you're going from one investment to two or to three to five. You know, to ten, and more or less, it's just that repetition that continues on, just like the uh, snowballing effect of the compounding interest. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, there's no wrong way to do it. Um, uh, you know, just make your money and go to work for you somehow. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Um, all right. One last question, then we can go ahead and wrap up and I'll let you get back to your day. Uh, what does being a 3% man mean to you? Being a 3% man to me, um, it's, it, well, I mean, it means a fucking ton. <laughs> I love it. I love that uh, Corey's work has brought me back to the understanding that I had when I was younger. It makes me feel reinvigorated in myself. It makes me feel more connected to people in general because I'm taking a lot of steps that I got out of practice of doing while I was married, I think. And um, just getting back to being a fully masculine man who, you know, is fine with being himself and who he's supposed to be. Got it. I'll accept that. I think that. the society doesn't want us to be that. Yeah, that is unbelievable to me. But it's been going like this for years. The, like the media sort of pushed like sort of uh, shunned masculinity and, and now like they have these whole campaigns about toxic masculinity and they like are really oh, yeah. advocating to, to, to feminize men. And I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You know, this are like, yeah, like society needs strong men. It, it needs it. Absolutely. And women want strong men. <laughs> Maybe not lesbians. As much as they say they don't, do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as much as they say they don't, they fucking do. And we all know it. Cool. Right. All, right. all right, Matt. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to meet with me today. I think uh, there's this is going to be a really good uh, episode for people, I think. You know, especially ones that, that tune in specifically wanting to understand 
the mentality of someone who's, you know, self-made and stuff like that. I'm certainly one of those people. Well, hey, I, uh, it's my honor to be on the show and I'm thankful that you asked. And if I can help anybody out in their journey to become more financially independent and uh, if that helps you in your relationships with men, women, children, um, peers, however, I think it's great if I can help in any way. Cool. All right, man. I appreciate it. And I'll, I'll see you later on the page. All right. Sounds great. Have a great day. You too. Matt, thanks again for joining me. Your insight into the real estate method of growing wealth was fascinating. Next week, I have on another 3% brother who is in real estate as well. His name is Evan Gary, and he and his partners are building a rental property empire in New York. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it. All right, guys, we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to Come On, Man. If you're new to the podcast, I highly recommend reading How to Be a 3% Man by Corey Wayne at least 10 to 15 times. I recommend you watch his coaching videos on YouTube, and I recommend that you engage with other 3% men in our 3% Man Facebook group. Links to all of these are in the show notes. If you like this episode, please give us a good rating on your podcast platform of choice and share with all of your bros. Now go out and get it.